Welcome to the New Life Philly podcast. Every week, we share fresh insights as we explore the inexhaustible depths of the Word of God. We pray that you will be encouraged and challenged today as we continue in our study. Let's join in now. Anybody know where Mark? <laughs> uh, we've been journaling, uh, journeying through Mark, um, I would say, almost for the better part of a year now, trying to understand a little bit more about this person named Jesus. Amen? And uh, how many of you are glad that you've been learning and digging deep into this person named Jesus, just by a show of hands. Has that been a, a blessing to you? Amen, amen, amen. Uh, the subject that I'll be preaching on today, well, actually, let's get to this. Let's read our text first. So you will stand um, with me. We'll read Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. One, two, three, go. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. Um, I'll be preaching to you from the subject of I can see clearly now. Emphasis on the now. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we love you and we bless you. Lord, we're grateful uh, for the opportunity to gather here together in the midst of one another, but also in the midst of you. Um, God, uh, we invite you in. Uh, Lord, we enjoy your presence. We enjoy the presence that we get to uh, experience of you when we are amongst your people. There's nothing like it. Um, so, Lord, we enjoy this re-evangelization, Father God, in which we get to hear an old story in a fresh, new way. Um, I pray, Lord, that through uh, this sermon today, Father God, that our spiritual eyes uh, will be opened once again. In In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Seeing is believing. That's how the uh, saying goes, right? That once something is seen by the eyes, once something is witnessed, the truth of its occurrence or existence can no longer be doubted. You may say it like this, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, research uh, estimates that 80 to 
that 80 to 85 percent of our perception, learning, cognition and activities are mediated through vision. Vision is that process of deriving meaning from what is seen. We know that what we perceive, though, is often distorted. Distorted by pain, distorted by trauma, distorted by pride, distorted by familiarity. The reality that we see very often is not the reality that God wants us to see. One of the questions today on the table is, what do you see versus what does God want you to see? You know, as I was growing up as a teenager, when I looked in the mirror, I didn't like what I saw. I'm a bit vertically challenged. Amen. (laughs) Didn't see that as a blessing at the time. Love football, played football from fifth grade all the all the way through my senior year in high school. I was a tremendous player, fifth grade through eighth grade. But then everybody started getting bigger, started getting faster. And I got a little bit bigger, but I didn't get much faster. There are some things that I saw about myself that I didn't like. And I didn't like what I saw. But Jesus wanted me to see a different reality. My identity in him in that moment was the thing that he was growing me towards. And while I still struggle with some of those insecurities and looking in the mirror. Today, my, my understanding of who I am in Christ predominates. It, it subverts all the critiques, the little things that I might say about myself. What has frothed up to the top is Christ's view of me. What do you see versus what does God want you to see? The, the big idea, and I think it is the big idea of This text is that in any given season, we are on a continuum of comprehension. We are continuing to struggle to perceive through the various distorted realities of life, this ultimate reality and truth that Jesus is Messiah. That's what I hope if you don't leave with anything Else today, I pray that your lenses, your corrective spiritual lenses would be more accurate to see that everything in which you view life is perceived through that ultimate reality that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, we've been walking through this, this book of Mark and the, the question, there's a question at the end of chapter 4 that, that, that perfectly typifies and epitomizes it. It gives us the, the perfect uh, understanding of what people are saying about Jesus. Mark chapter 4 verse 41, the disciples say, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. 
My, my, my. Been walking with Jesus for a few chapters now. They still don't yet understand. But what had Jesus demonstrated? He, he's healed on the Sabbath. He has shown contempt for the religious establishment. He's healed a woman with a years-long issue of blood. He commands the seas and the waves. He crosses man-made religious and cultural boundaries. He walks on water. Who is this? At the end of chapter 7, it said after he heals a deaf and mute man, people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Tim preached about watch out. Beware of who is discipling you and informing your, your daily decisions. And I like to say that our worst decisions come when we're perceiving a, a, a lack of a perceived need. And then we self-determine the solution. It's so interesting that after being with Jesus, when he multiplied a few loaves of bread and fish for 5,000. And then does the same thing for 4,000 folks. That the disciples in this very next segment say, what are we going to do? We only have one loaf of bread. Jesus says to them in Mark 8, 17, he says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear. And don't you remember? Remember. Remember. Do you remember? Do you remember God's provision for your family? Do you remember when you look back over your life? Don't you remember how God was looking out for you, protecting you, keeping you, holding you. This is an echo of Jeremiah's utterance to the people of God centuries earlier. He said in Jeremiah 5, he said, hear this. He said to them, do you still, excuse me, he said, hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. You see, faith perceives correctly what unbelief rejects. These disciples are not able to fully see. They are unable to fully hear. Why? Because of their unbelief. Their unbelief caps what they are able to see, understand, and perceive. Going back to Mark chapter 8, Jesus finally asks, he says to them, do you still not understand? Can you still not see brothers and sisters of new life? Because dare we not think down on these disciples for having walked with Jesus all this time and still not understanding the, the, the depth, the, the width, all of what he is. Because on a daily basis, we function as if Jesus is some kind of genie. 
or we put Jesus on the shelf when we don't feel that we need him and, and take him off and rub him and hope and pray to God, Lord, now I need you. But every morning we should be waking up singing that song, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you every hour. Not just in the times in which we perceive a need, but our perception should be that we always need God. In what ways can you still not see? The miraculous healings, the divine provision, and the radically restored, these are not just biblical stories. These are lived out realities in each of you, in each of your families. There are those of you sitting here today and you've broken generational bonds of sin. There are those of you here today and God has brought you from a place of need into a place of abundance. Can't you see? Won't you continue to see? We find ourselves here in the middle of this gospel. This, this story is the end of the first act, as you might say. Jesus is traveling with his disciples yet again to perform another miracle. And this miracle is just a little bit different and perhaps all the miracles that have come before, or maybe all the miracles that have come after, in that it comes in stages. Jesus does not heal, as you'll see in a moment, this man completely, immediately. Let's look at verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. First thing I want to note is, is what's interesting uh, about uh, our translations is that uh, they seem to define people by their, affirm by their affirmities, by their afflictions. I know some people are, are trying to get translators to, to look at things a little bit different. In fact, one of the more literal translations, the, the, the New American Standard Bible, before it was revised in 95, translated the man who was blind. Let's now look at people and define them by what they don't have. Let's dignify them enough that they are holy people before the infirmity, infirmity that they have. Blindness is his affliction, not his person. Some people brought, then it says, and begged. It's important to have people in your life who will advocate on your behalf. Uh, this man was in front of Jesus Merely because there were folks who were patient enough to walk with him, to talk with him, to guide him, to, to feed him, to warn him, and then to petition and advocate on his behalf. Can you imagine leading a blind person miles along the way? Watch out for that rock. Watch out for this tree. Watch out for that ditch. Up, step over, move to 
the side, the care with which the people who came around him must have been very particular, very intimate, and very much essential. Don't you know that, that in a way, though, Christianity is a two-way street and that this interdependency is not a simply people uh, 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 helping someone who is in need and, and, and they merely have a dependency on them. But Christianity is a two-way interdependent street. I want you to know that, that when you share a need with someone, they then have the opportunity to step up and help with your need. They are then able to develop character and maturity that moves them to be more in the image of Christ. In, in other words, by sharing your need, you have given them a gift of your need. Strength in America might tell you that, that when I can handle things on my own, that's when I know that I'm strong. That's when I know that I can handle all things. That's when I can show and demonstrate that I'm mighty. When I can handle everything on my own, I don't need anybody else. I'm showing my independence, but the life of a Christian is interdependent. It's mutually dependent, mutually reliant. We are constantly giving to one another. When we don't have the right words to say, thoughts to think, way to feel. Perhaps I have some friends or perhaps I am the friend that's not going to back down, not going to back out. There's a song and I had never heard of this band before. Don't don't judge me. OK, but uh, but the Hollies who are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, UK band. All right. Uh, they had a song called He's Not Heavy. He's my brother. Let me put up the lyrics to that. It says, the road is long with many a winding turn that leads us to who knows where. Who knows where? But I'm strong, strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. So on we go. His welfare is of my concern. No burden is he to bear. We'll get there for I know he would not encumber me. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. If I'm laden at all, I'm laden with sadness that everyone's heart isn't filled with the gladness of love for one another. It's a long, long road from which there is no we're on the way to there. Why not share? And the load doesn't weigh me down at all. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. New life, won't we be a church? But we can look at our brothers and sisters in their burdens, in their trials and afflictions, in their tribulation. Say, you're not heavy. You're my brother. You're not heavy. You're my sister. These people beg Jesus to touch him, not heal him, mm -mm -mm. but to touch him. Touch in the Old Testament uh, uh, was synonymous with God's power, expressions such as God touches the earth and it melts. 
That God would touch the mountains and they would smoke, uh, uh, talking about his supreme power over the created order. In the Old Testament, touch meant to purify or to curse. There was a, a sense of mural, moral purity, staying away from the things that weren't ritually or ceremonial clean. But Jesus betrays all that. Jesus portrays ritual and traditional and social boundaries in order to demonstrate his compassion. He's a personal Jesus. Aren't you glad that you have a personal Jesus? Look at verse 23. It says, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He took him. By the hand, Jesus is unafraid to touch this man who is blind. He's unafraid to put his hands on someone who's marginalized, who's perhaps been oppressed, someone who's in suffering. Who are the people that we're afraid to put our hands on? Who are the people that we're afraid to get in the dirty with? Sometimes it's family. Differences of ideologies and politics keep us from getting in the dirt. Keep us from ministering to family and to friends. Sometimes it's those who simply look different than us, talk different than us, dress differently than us, have different skin or a different gender or a different sexual orientation. Who is it that we're afraid to touch. Jesus is not afraid to touch. Rather, he's all the more willing to lay his hands on the man to bestow his compassion. It's interesting that that the laying on of hands in the Old Testament was symbolic of consecrating something to God. But here in this new paradigm, in the new covenant, it's no longer man who is doing the the consecrating to God. But God himself is laying on hands and he is consecrating himself. Jesus touches. Aren't you glad? That it's not up to men or women about who gets in good with God. But God has taken his own divine initiative. Aren't you glad that if it was up to uh, 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 some people and what they said about you, whether it was mom or dad or friends, ex-friends or ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend, aren't you glad that it wasn't dependent on the negative things that somebody said about you that, that, that would forecast what was in store for you? But God takes his own divine initiative and what he says about you is the thing that matters. That's the thing that lasts. That's the thing that is good. This personal touch from Jesus. Not only did Jesus touch him personally, Jesus took some time with the man. Amen. He, he, he led him outside the village. He wanted a one-on-one intimate time uh, uh, with, with the man. Aren't you glad that Jesus meets you? in sometimes in a, in, a, in a still quiet voice that sometimes when you're going through and there's nothing that that you could say to yourself 
But, but mm, Lord, you, you can't even get out the words or a sentence to say to encourage yourself. But in that time, in that moment, God, God spoke to you. God said, you are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. In you, I am well pleased because I've got my son inside you. I look at you, sister. I look at you, brother. I don't see your faults. I don't see your flaws. All I see is the righteousness of God in those small times, in those private times. Jesus takes that personal time, not just with this man, but with you. He takes his time with you. He spit on this man's eyes. And while some of us may be appalled by that, actually quite normal, Jesus uses what he has in order to facilitate a miracle. And he asked him, do you see anything? And as much as this question is here for the blind man, it's also here for the disciples who've been traveling eight chapters with Jesus. It's also here for those first century readers who are reading Mark's Gospel in anticipation of what's yet to come. And it's also here for you and me. Can you hear that echo? Can you not yet see? Have you not yet understood? As much as it is for them, it's also for us. He looked up and said in verse 24, I see people, they look like Trees walking around. And his response is reflective of what many of us perceive in our journey with Christ. We look up and oftentimes we can't see clearly. We don't know what God is doing. Lord, what are you doing here? God, I don't get it. Why am I here? What's happening to me? What's happening around me? In almost two years of pandemics, with murder on the rise, opioid deaths on the rise, so many other things are going on all about us. Lord, I can't see Clearly, what are you doing? First Corinthians 13 tells us that we see a reflection. That we only see what's dim. For now we see only a, a reflection as in a mirror. Don't forget about the second part of the verse. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall now, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Today, New Life, I want you to make a a declaration. I can see clearly... Now, I can see clearly, 
now. And it may not be your reality. It may not be your experience right now. But you can make that declaration in faith. A faith that exceeds the reality of your right now. That your faith exceeds what you're able to grasp. Verse 25 says, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. This man's sight was restored. You know, in verse 24, as he's reflecting upon his initial vision as having seen trees, now we are told that this man's sight is is restored. In, In other words, probably this man had not been born blind. This man had some previous experiences in which he had seen things clearly. Isn't it a disruption? That you can be on a cruise control spiritual life in which everything is going hunky-dory. You are smelling the roses. God is good all the time. God is good. And disruption comes your way. Trouble comes your way. Trial comes your way. What do you do when that happens? Are you someone who's lost hope that something which was lost now may never be restored? Have you lost hope that something that which you dare to dream is now not ever possible? Be like this man who's honest with Jesus about it. Jesus said, do you see anything? He could have said, yes, thank you. I can see now. But he doesn't do that. He tells Jesus what he sees. Even though Jesus has given him a great gift of partial healing. He's honest with Jesus to say, this is my condition. Don't gloss over the specificity of your condition. Don't gloss over, you know, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. No, give Jesus the raw and the dirty. Tell him, tell him the specifics about what's going on with you. Because then, when healing comes, you'll know it was him who did it. When you're specific about your prayers, when you're specific about your reality, when you're specific about the things that you're going through, when those things and you come to the end of yourself and when healing has come, you know it was Jesus who has done a mighty work. You know it was Jesus who who through something supernatural moved mountains. Faith does that kind of thing. You know, uh, uh, there's this this law of diminishing returns. 
Uh, it's a law in uh, economics. And it says, it says this, if we can put it up. The law of diminishing returns is a theory in economics that predicts that after some optimal level of capacity is reached, adding an additional factor of production will actually result in smaller increases in output. In other words, you can have something going on and on, producing the same thing. But one hiccup, one extra added level of stress, one thing that goes unaddressed can then turn into diminishing returns, diminishing output. And I will wage to say that in life, in Christian life, we are always at risk and exposed to the possibility of diminishing returns. That we get along so well, things go so well, increasing production, new members in the church, people joining, people doing great things, and then all of a sudden hit peak, optimal level. There's going to be some things we're going to have to do at New Life Church to address diminishing returns. And I think we're doing some of those things. Having hard conversations about cross generations and how we reach young people and changing those things. Having hard conversations about race when people in our congregation have, have totally polarized views of politics. Can we be real about it? But there's one thing, brothers and sisters, that's clear. When we read the book of Mark and we're coming through all these different chapters and we see Jesus in Jewish region and Gentile region and we see him healing and we see him conversing and we see him teaching and we see him raising people from the dead, there's one thing that we can conclude. Have you not seen it? Have you not heard? Do you not understand that, that the lens through which I view the world if I view it through the world of Jesus is the Messiah, that he's come to restore all things to himself. If I look at my world through those lenses, through those glasses, everything changes. Humility froths up. To be able to have these conversations and to, to make these changes, not changing the message, but changing the gears, tweaking things in here, adding some WD-40. That's what the church of Jesus Christ looks like and is, is, and is all about. Jesus, this, this gospel movement is not something that, that is centered in Israel. It's not centered in a building, but it's a movement of people. It's a movement that will say, I am committed to the gospel message of Jesus' redemption into this world. We are about that. Nothing's going to stop me from getting in on that mission. 
I can see clearly. Now, I can see clearly now that I walk by faith and not by sight. I can see clearly now that what things look like doesn't have to be what they will be. I can see clearly now, even in the midst of my hardship, I can see the end because Jesus has already guaranteed me victory. I don't work for victory. I work from victory. This man just needed a second touch. Sometimes I need to just go to Jesus. Ask him for another touch. Lord, I can see some. But I can't see clearly. And Lord, I want to see things clearly. Won't you help me, Jesus? Touch me again, Lord. Lord, my family's broken. Lord, heal my family. Lord, my marriage is in shambles. Heal my marriage. My finances are struggling. Lord, heal my finances. Lord, I need another touch. Heal me. Help me to see. Just a word of exhortation from Isaiah 35. Isaiah says this when talking about the joy of the redeemed. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear your God will come and he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. And in verse 10, it says, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing everlasting joy, will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Are you happy today that Jesus has come into your life, given you new eyes to see, new ears to hear, new hearts to feel that Jesus, when he entered into your situation, that he saved you, picked you up, turned you around, set your feet on solid ground. Brothers and sisters, don't ever lose sight of the fact that Jesus saved you. Don't ever get over that fact. But not only did he save you then, uh, he continues to save you now. Uh, he continues to make a way out of no way. He continues to, to give you joy in the midst of sorrow. He, he continues to give you peace when, uh, when, when all storms are about you. Jesus continues to be king. May he bless you. There's one more thing he's, he said uh, uh, to, to this man in, in Mark chapter 26. He says, it says, Jesus sent him home. 
saying, don't even go into the village. Don't go back. Don't go back. When Jesus has given you that new eyesight, don't go back. When he's opened up those eyes for you to see, don't go back. When he's, when he's given you a taste of new realities and dreams, don't go back. When he's made things clear for you and when you can see clearly, don't go back. Let's pray. Agana, Father, we love you and we bless you, Lord. We're so grateful that you've given us eyes to see. Lord, we won't go back because we can see clearly now. Now we can see. Sometimes that's a reality and sometimes it's a declaration. But Lord, we live along that spectrum, on that continuum. But it's not our own wisdom that upholds us. You uphold us. You give us the wisdom and the strength to persevere. To help us, Father God. And Lord, we bless you. We thank you for all that you've done. And we pray, Lord, today that some spiritual eyes were opened or restored. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed today by the preaching of God's word. Join us every week for fresh insights on the New Life Philly podcast. If you would like to reach out to our church for more information or if there's some way we can pray for you, please visit newlifephilly.net or email newlife at newlifephilly.net. May the Lord richly bless you this week.